Raise your hand if you like cats. My hand's raised. Mine is too. Okay, raise your hand if you like litter boxes. It's not raised. <laughs> yeah, that's really the main drawback. We love our cats so much that we overlooked the litter box problem for years. Well, now that's solved, not by magic, but with pretty litter. Here it is. Are you ready? Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free litter in lightweight bags that lasts up to a month that also changes color when it detects a potential health issue in your cats. It's litter reinvented. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code MYTHS for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code MYTHS for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code MYTHS. This week on Myths and Legends... It's a story from the Grimm brothers. You'll see how the devil relaxes after a long day of making things terrible and how to get bandits and murderers to turn their hideout into a and b The creature of the week is a squirrel who wants to shove mushrooms up your nose so it can steal your booze. This is Myths and Legends, episode 230, A Hairy Situation. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This is an episode with a story from the Grimm brothers, brothers who went around what is now the country of Germany in the 1800s, collecting stories. They're fairy tales, so no need to dive into the history. We'll just jump in with a family who just had a very special baby. Poor peasant woman looked down on her new son, the pride of her life. They had prayed so long for him, and, Oh, oh, babe, babe, look at him, the husband shouted, laughter ringing out from his voice. The mother sat up, exhausted, but, Oh my gosh, is that? Oh yeah, the husband said, dancing around. Yes, yes, they were going to be so rich. The baby was born still in his amniotic sac, which meant, of course, that this kid was going to marry the king's daughter in 14 years. The dad called the others to the room to witness the event. Boom. So awesome. When he was the king's father someday, he would remember all the little people that made this possible. Honey, the mother said, pointing to the baby. Oh yeah, they should probably get him out of there. And the baby was a him a little boy who was the pride of his village, a future king. There was shouting in the street one morning, a few weeks later, and then the horns blew. The new parents turned and gasped. The king was at the door. I heard a little prophecy, the king said, handing the mom and dad a gift bag. With a smile, the king strode in to have a look at the baby that was prophesied to marry his infant daughter. The dad sidled up next to the king. I'm excited to get to know you, brother, he said with a wink. The king looked him over. That wasn't how in-laws worked. The dad said their kids would be getting married, though, so what would that make them? Nothing, the king replied, scooping up the baby. Now, if the parents didn't mind, he would be leaving. The mother stepped in front of the door. She did mind. That was her son. The king smiled. 
Of course, of course, he should explain himself. You see, he was taking the baby to be raised in the castle, educated, taught how to fight, taught how to lead. That's what she wanted for him, right? To be a prince? To be a king? Was he going to learn how to do that here? (laughs) The mother's shoulders slumped. No, no, he wasn't. She and her husband could barely provide for themselves before the baby. She had no idea how she was going to feed him, let alone train him to be a leader. She stepped aside. The king nodded. Very good. He tucked the baby in a wooden box. He would send word when the baby was settled in, and they would be able to come to visit him often. They could do that, right? Being the peasants they were take weeks off work and travel miles from home through strange lands to navigate a city they had never seen? Hmm, great. The servant whipped the horses, and the king and his retinue took off. He yelled back to the tear-streaked parents that their baby would be in the best of hands. About an hour out of town, the king turned to his servant and pointed to the baby. If you wouldn't mind, would he take that thing and just throw it in the river they had just passed? That'd be great. Thanks. As the king heard the baby in his box splash down into the river, he sneered. (laughs) Prophecies. Fourteen years later, the kingdom was experiencing the worst storm in its history, so bad that the king on his way home, had been waylaid, and he was being forced to take shelter under the roof of, he shuddered, peasants. He half grimaced, half smiled, when they brought him some hot wine, pouring it out when they weren't looking. Not like he needed dysentery today, too. He looked out, oh, thank goodness. The storm was clearing. The thought of being among the people he was responsible for as king, chills. It was just terrible. Then, and he looked up. There was a tall, handsome youth. The king thought about it. This was a fairy tale, and attractiveness equaled nobility, and this kid? <laughs> this kid had it going on. He was a noble, obviously. The king did some mental calculations. He said it wasn't one of his, probably. He flagged the nearest servant down, a man in his 30s, and pointed to the teenager. That kid, a good-looking kid, right? Like, so attractive, the king said. The adult man thought that this was a weird thing to bond with the king over, but uh, he'd take it. Yeah, the, the kid was objectively attractive. Did the king want to know some gossip, though? That kid, even though the miller calls him his son, not his biological son. Uh, the king sighed. The kid was one of his. That uh, was fun payoff time. And he didn't even remember. His thoughts were interrupted by the word foundling. The servant at the mill said he had been working, what was it, 14 years ago? Out by the river. He saw a box floating down the river and he was like, sweet, free box. He hoped there was stuff inside, like gold and maybe a genie, though this isn't really the region for that. And he fished it out of the water. It was a baby though. (sighs) The miller and his wife had been trying to conceive, so they took it as a sign and raise the child as their own. The servant got to keep the box, though, so that's kind of the highlight of his life. Did the king want to see the box? The king grimaced, no. 
He didn't care about a box. He was running over the geography of the kingdom in his mind. The bridge where he had tossed the amniotic sack baby, it was only two miles upriver. Fourteen years? The king turned to the servant. Actually, yeah, he did want to see the box. The servant was so excited to show off the box. As a servant in a medieval European mill, that was kind of the high water point for him in his life. King didn't seem too thrilled about it and demanded the servant take it from his sight. The servant wasn't there to see the king's face more from distress to plotting. You there, the king said to the 14-year-old. Can you read? The young man shook his head. Nope, never learned. Literacy rates hovered in the single digits in this time. Something the king was actually empowered to do something about. Fantastic, the king said. He had stopped listening when the boy said no. Was the boy familiar with Hamlet? Or Amleth? That was the story that inspired the play. Kate covers himself in feces. Episode 215. It's wild. The kid said, cool. No. He had never seen that and didn't know what a lot of that meant. But how could he help the king today? You can help by delivering a message, he said, producing an envelope from the folds of his cloak and pressing it into the boy's hands. He needed to get word to his queen that he was okay. Could the young man take a horse and leave immediately, taking word to the castle that the miller, the young man's dad, had saved the king? There were two pieces of gold in it for him. He looked to the miller and his wife. That's, that's a lot for you guys, right? The boy stood up straight. Absolutely. He would do it not for the gold, not for the honor, but because it was his feudal duty. He took the letter and left immediately. Unfortunately, it was mid-afternoon, and even though the boy rode as fast as he could, he still only made it halfway before darkness fell. Expediency was important, but so was safety. If he or his horse was hurt out here on the road, the message would never get delivered. He wound his way carefully through the forest until, just up ahead, he saw a cottage glowing in the night. He dismounted, tethered his horse, and entered. A woman sitting by the fire was roused from sleep with a start when she saw the boy. Oh, hey there. He should probably go. The boy pointed to the forest, thick with darkness and fog. Yeah, it was a miracle he made it here. He wasn't going back out there tonight. He would die. The woman said he would die if he stayed. He must have lost the main road because this was a thieves' hideout. Bandits. Murderers. At that, the boy laughed. Well, then he was definitely staying. He was a poor miller's son on an errand from the king. The only thing of value he had was a letter to the queen. So, zero value to the robbers. This was his big shot, and he wasn't going to be deterred from it. As the young man stretched out on the bench, he said it would be more work for them to kill him than just let him sleep by the fire. The woman said that she wasn't so sure about that. The guys who lived here were pretty enthusiastic about killing. This is a Grim Brothers story, you know. But the young man didn't hear it. He was already snoring on the bench by the fire. Guys, 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 hold up, hold up. Don't stab the kid, the bandit leader whispered. He stopped them the moment before they stabbed the sleeping youth. The elderly woman that I hope wasn't a captive explained who the kid was who was sleeping on the bench by the fire. 
to the bandit leader when the men returned. She said that he was a poor miller's son who had been sent on this task by the king. He was so full of hope and life and excited about the future, so they should probably make it quick. As the others drew their daggers, the bandit leader slipped the note from the pack, popped it open, and read it. He stopped them just in time and sat back. Sad. Uh, so the king can just, like, execute a child without trial? And were the bad guys? The bandit leader said. His second-in-command said that he could see his boss was trying to make a political point, but they also did that? Executed people for no reason? The bandit said, yeah, sure, but they didn't lie to the people before they killed them. The bandits knew what they were, and so did their victims. The second-in-command said they actually did lie to lure people into a false sense of security. What's in the letter? The leader said that the king was sending this kid to his death. The letter told the queen to execute the kid immediately, before the king even returned. It was horrible. Yet, yeah, wait, you can read? The second-in-command said to the leader. The leader tossed the letter into the fire. Yeah, why does that surprise you? The other thief said that the literacy rate was south of 9%, and he was the leader of a band of thieves and murderers. It's just kind of an accomplishment. Great job, man. The leader smiled. Hey, thanks. Yeah, he had a loving mother who taught him. She wanted to make sure he had every opportunity to follow his passions. Those passions turned out to be robbing and murdering people, so here we are. The other men nodded. Made sense. Now, to fix this problem, the bandit leader said, putting Quill to paper. Hey, sleepy, the bandit leader said when the youth rose from the bench the next morning to a room full of smiling bandits. You want some breakfast? The boy said, absolutely. And they all sat down to fresh fruit and a Dutch baby, the pancake. The bandits weren't that type of grim bandit troop. The surprisingly kind and supportive bandits talked over the young man's ambitions and hopes for the future and told him that, if anything fun, surprising, and life-changing ever happened in the very near future, to remember how pardons worked and to think about his old buddies in the forest who didn't murder him in his sleep. That's big for them. After they finished their meal, the bandit leader slapped the kid on the back. He should get going. Can't leave the queen waiting. What? The boy asked, feeling for his letter. What? The bandit leader replied. Don't worry about it. Up on your horse. Off you go. As the bandit troop watched the kid go on the route they had instructed him to follow, the bandit leader thought that he should impart the boy with the last bit of wisdom. Kid, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you have imagined. and You will meet with success unexpected in common hours. The bandit yelled out. As the young man rode for the castle, a fellow bandit turned to him. That was beautiful. Was that from something? The leader shook his head. Nope. These are the 1300s and he just made that up. In fact, if anyone says that again at some point in the future, maybe they're the real bandit. We'll see what happens when the kid gets to the kingdom, but that will be right after this. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw 
coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The youth stood nervously before the queen. The shortcut through the woods had helped him make it sooner than he even thought possible. He made it faster than if he took the main road and galloped through the night. Welp, a stranger with an unsealed, mostly misspelled letter is proof enough for me, the queen said. Welcome to the family. The youth was confused. Uh, do what now? The queen showed the young man the letter. He was getting married to the princess. Immediately. You did what? The king spat at his wife when he returned a week later. She said she had followed his letter to the, well, letter. She showed him the letter that the youth had brought. The king pointed to it. He, he spelled married with a W. This wasn't him. The queen shrugged. To be fair, the king's spelling was atrocious. The king stormed into the youth's room, where he was getting a lesson from his private tutor. He had a lot to catch up on if he was going to be king someday. You're not going to be king someday, the king barked. This wasn't his letter. What happened to his letter? The young man shrugged. If it wasn't, then he had no idea. He'd only made one stop on the way and... Oh, made sense now. Pardons. Yeah. He now recognized that there was some possibility that the letter could have been altered in transit. The king shook his head. The boy waltzed in here with a fake letter and married his daughter. Well... He could just go to, hello, the tutor said. They were still in the middle of a lesson. The king sneered. Where this kid was going, he wouldn't need lessons. He lied to his king. He lied to the queen. The king would destroy this kid. He would send him straight to Hellenistic Greece was the period between Alexander the Great and when the Roman Republic conquered the Greek city-states, the tutor continued. This was his job and it was important to teach. All respect begins with self-respect. The king could only talk over him if he let him. The king turned to the tutor. Would the man please stop interrupting? Great. Now he lost his train of thought. What was he going to say? The youth chimed in. You were saying something about me going to the Christian afterlife location known as Hellbroth is a composition supposed to be of magical quality prepared for malignant purposes by a witch or wizard. The tutor shouted, finishing his lesson at all costs. The youth nodded. Yeah, that was kind of annoying. So the king wanted him to go to the actual physical location of the Christian hell? Oh, we can just, like, say it? The king said, looking around. Don't need, like, a language disclaimer or anything? The kid said that they were talking about the actual place. It's in the Bible. Let's move on. The king glared at the young man, who, remember, is still 14 years old. There was a rule when it came to marrying his daughter that everyone in the land already knew. Anyone who wanted to marry the princess needed to fetch three golden hairs from the head of the devil himself. The tutor was about to say that he never heard of that, but the king held up a hand. Bup, bup, bup. This was a rule that had been in place for years. The kid shrugged. If it was a rule, then he would do it. Three golden hairs from the devil's head. He would leave tonight. 
we'll follow this kid along on his trip to hell. But that, once again, will be right after this. He was a week out when the kid arrived at the first walled city he had seen on his trip. The guard yelled, halt. Who was this kid and what was his profession? The kid said he was 14. The guard replied that, that the Middle Ages, totally reasonable for him to have a profession at this age. What was it? The youth shrugged. His profession was that he knew everything. That's what he actually said. He was, I guess, taking the bandit leader's advice to go confidently in the direction of his dreams to heart. Big time. The guard lit up. Seriously, this kid knew everything? Well, then he could really help them out with a problem they've been having. You see, in this town, the market fountain had once flowed with wine, which was pretty awesome, until the whole thing just stopped. They wanted to know why it stopped. The youth smiled. He would definitely be able to tell them the reason for that when he got back. Oh, the guard said, looking to the ground. Okay, so like, did the kid know everything or not? Because it would be easy to just tell them the reason so they could get the free wine flowing again and... But the youth was already walking away. Because this is a fairy tale, and it's obsessed with threes, he arrived at two more places, where someone asked the 14-year-old his profession, he said he knew everything, and they asked him a question, the answer to which he did not know. The first was another town guard who asked him why the tree in town that once bore golden apples no longer did that. And the third was a ferryman, who asked the youth why he must always be rowing backwards and forwards, and never be set free. The ferryman, even though he ferried people across the river into hell itself, was not Charon. That was the Greek ferryman, who ferried souls to Hades. This was like just Hans or something. And he really wanted a day off, but couldn't quite figure out how. The youth said he would tell the ferryman just how he could leave and take a bathroom break on his way back. But you, you're, you're literally going to hell. Pretty optimistic that you think you're coming back. Uh, unnamed youth? Hello? Hans the ferryman yelled out. But the youth was already passing under the gates of hell. Hi, is, um, the devil home? The youth said to the old woman who answered the door. She smiled and shook her head. No, sorry, he was out. The old woman was the devil's dear old grandmother. And whatever business the fine young man had with her grandson, well, he should probably leave and never come back. You see, her grandson was literally Satan. The boy shrugged. He was on a quest? He wouldn't be allowed to stay married to his wife, a beautiful princess, if he didn't get three hairs from the devil's head. The grandma grimaced, ugh. Three hairs, huh? That's a tough one, but she was an old romantic. How did he think Satan's dad got here? The youth shrugged. He had no idea. None of this really made sense theologically. The old woman smiled. She would do her best. The young man needed to hide in the folds of her apron. The youth looked at the old woman, who was smaller than he was. And how was he supposed to do that? Then he started shrinking. His arms became hard. He felt his bones go to mush, but his skin turned to armor to hold everything in place. His eyes became compound, and two pincers grew from his mouth. Before long, he was looking up at the old woman, who was the size of an anachronistic skyscraper next to the youth, who was now an ant. The devil's grandma picked him up and put him in the folds of her apron. 
as she did. He said he knew the devil's hair was kind of a big ask, but if she wouldn't mind helping him out with some of the other stuff, he kind of promised a bunch of people that he knew the answers to a bunch of stuff on the way here. If she happened to know the answers, she would be doing him a big solid. I'm already doing you a solid, the grandmother said, by getting you Satan's hair, but I'll see what I can do. What do you need to know? the devil has a hard day. I mean, 2020 was probably a lot of work for him because he comes home and falls asleep in his Nana's lap as she strokes his hair. As soon as he started snoring, she wrapped one hair around a finger and yanked. The devil woke up with a start. Ow! Did she pull out a hair? She looked at her hand. Oh, yeah. She guessed she did. She had this terrible dream where there was this town that used to have a wine fountain, but it dried up. The devil shuddered. No wine? That was a bad dream. That actually sounds like a real town he knew about. They don't know it, but there's this toad sitting under a stone in the well, blocking the wine. I don't tell them about it because I'm literally the devil. Grandma stroked her grandson's hair, and soon the devil was asleep again. This happened two more times. The golden apples were gone because a mouse was gnawing at the root. If they didn't kill it soon, the tree would wither completely. The ferryman couldn't move because he never gave the oar away. If he gave the oar to another, they would be trapped in the boat and he would be free. Now please, could he sleep? She finally let him sleep and the trio actually slept. The devil with his head in his grandma's lap, the grandma in the chair and the youth in the grandma's apron. In the morning, grandma roused the devil saying that he had to go get to work being the absolute worst. He took his coffee, which he loves lukewarm and full of grounds, and left for the overworld. When he was gone, Grandma plucked the youth from her apron. He got his answers, right? She tossed him to the ground, and he was a human before he hit it. He hugged her, thanking her profusely, and she said it was nothing. She was happy to help young love. When he made it undetected back to the ferryman, the man was surprised to see him, and asked if he had the answer he promised. The youth was smart enough to get a ride across and to get a safe distance from the ferryman before he told the man how to get free by getting someone else to take an oar. The ferryman thanked the youth and the young man left. Who's that? The king said from the high tower, looking out. Seeing someone strolling through the field, flanked by four donkeys, the princess squinted. It couldn't be. It was her husband? The king said, now that couldn't be. He's alive? Then he looked to his daughter. He meant, oh yay, he's alive. But what are those donkeys carrying? When the king got close enough to see, he was able to make out what was pouring out of the bags, hanging off the donkeys. Gold. The cities were so happy about their golden apples and wine fountain being restored that they piled gold atop donkeys and sent them with him. The king was awestruck. The miller's kid was now richer than he was. He held out his arms, wide open for a hug. Son. Now, the boy, though he was kind, he was wary of the king 
He knew that the king liked him now, but as soon as the king figured out how to get his hands on the gold the young man brought back, he would find another way to get his son-in-law out of the picture. No, he needed a more long-term solution. So he told the king that the road to hell was filled with gold, but the people stayed away because, you know, hell. There was a ferry road by this super cool guy named Hans. On the other side of the river, there were piles of gold, so much so that he barely made a dent with four donkeys, and that was after using some of the gold to buy the donkeys. The king smiled. Cool, cool. Hey, no reason, but he was going to go to the bathroom. He would be right back. He took a horse and bolted from the castle immediately, lest anyone follow and become richer than him. He made it to the river in a few days and found the ferryman still sitting there, just waiting for another person to take across. The king pointed across the river. Is this the river to hell? The one with piles of gold sitting all around? The ferryman shrugged. It had been a while since he had gotten some time away from the boat, so he knew one of those was definitely correct. The king sat down with a smile. Well then, off we go, peasant. Let's, let's talk ye more rowy. The ferryman nodded. Right away. They were nearly to the other side when the ferryman gasped. Oh no, it's happening. They had to work quickly. He turned to the king. Here, take this. The king, not understanding the source of the panic, listened to the ferryman, who looked like he knew what he was talking about. Was it the devil? Was it Cerberus? What? As soon as the oar was out of the ferryman's hands, he reached behind him and scratched his back. Oh yeah, the king had no idea how good that felt. Well, he would someday. Maybe. The king said all that to scratch his back? What was the ferryman doing? The king was on his way to becoming even more rich, which was way more important than literally any need of some peasant. Now take the oar back. That was an order. The king thought about it and chuckled. Order. Nice. Seriously, do it though. The ferryman shrugged. Oh, sorry. He didn't take orders from the king. Not anymore. In fact, he looked back across the river. He wanted to go back to the non-hell side of the river. The king's arms started moving, rowing. He screwed up his face in rage. What was the meaning of this? Why was he doing this? The ferryman laughed. Ah, the king would figure it out. When they were close, the ferryman snapped his fingers. Ah, rats. Actually, he left something in his locker on the other side of the river. When they were on the hell side... The ferryman spoke up. Actually, he remembered he didn't have anything in the locker on the side of the river because he hadn't been able to leave the boat for like a few millennia. Also, lockers didn't exist. Let's go back and forth like six more times. Then the king could drop him off at the non-hell side of the river. As the ferryman disembarked, leaving the exhausted, sweaty king, he said he wished the man the best. I mean, not enough of the best to actually take the oar back, so, you know, good luck. The ferryman walked away whistling as the king shouted curses at him, and the man who started our story throwing a baby in the river will end it rowing ceaselessly across one for the rest of time, or until he manages to trick someone into taking his place. But let's be real, he is not remotely crafty enough to do that anytime soon. the end of our story. When the king never returned, no one was in a particular hurry to go find him. 
the new kid was pretty cool, and the old king was the throwing babies into rivers type. So people just kind of forgot about him. Next week, we're in Irish folklore, with two stories, one of Finn McCool, the giant who's super talkative about how he's the strongest guy in Ireland until a challenger comes from across the sea. The second is about how you can catch a leprechaun and make him give you all of his stuff. Just don't take your eyes off of him. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a candle meant only for left-handed people, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that aren't putting Ned Flanders out of business. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Will Am Alone, a fearsome critter from North America, from Lumberjack Stories. The Will Am Alone is the stuff of nightmares, because Will Am Alone will stuff psychotrophic substances in your nose while you sleep to give you nightmares. It's a small squirrel that likes to party. It sneaks up on people camping in the forest with handfuls of, quote, fairy flour, very particular types of mushrooms, and puts it in the sleeper's nose and mouth. Those special mushrooms will take the sleeper on a magical nighttime journey while the squirrel robs them. What does that mischievous little scamp of a squirrel want? Your liquor, of course. You see, a lot of these fearsome critters are admonishments to not go in the forest drunk, which must have been a fairly common problem at the time. And the will I am alone is no different. Not only will he rob you of any alcohol you have on hand, which has to last him forever, I mean, what type of tolerance can like a three pound squirrel have? But if you happen to be partaking of the intoxicants, the squirrel's nightmare mushrooms are all that more potent. So as usual, don't wander around the dark forest alone and definitely don't do so drunk. But if you happen to find yourself in that situation, the Will Am alone is just helping you not to make any more bad choices by robbing you. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 